Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I realized something reading the lessons for today. I am not as brave as I thought, because that reading from Zephaniah, I'm not going to touch that one today. We could sit down and have coffee and talk about it, but no, not today. But I will talk about our text from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. This would have gone really, really well with last week's gospel, because Paul is telling us to stay awake. And Paul uses the analogy, which is very much the analogy of the world today. Bad things happen in the midst of darkness, and good things happen in the midst of light. But the point here is that God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who dies for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. There are a lot of folks in our world who are still asleep. But that gospel promise that God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ is the word that has the power to awaken all of us who are sleeping. And really, when Paul is talking about sleeping here, he's talking about a do-it-yourself religion. Stuff that is invested in you as opposed to the Christ-do-it-for-you religion. So this is the thing to encourage each other with. It's not like, hey man, be sober. Hey, don't stay out so late. That's not it. But we encourage each other with this message. Because the church, and remember this letter is being written to a church is filled with people whose sanctification levels are through the roof. And others who you might look at and say, what is going on? That person is a disaster. Nevertheless, Christ has called them all and has given the promise of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That becomes the encouraging word because the law cannot produce that which it demands It really needs the gospel that is able to give all which is demanded. God has chosen you to live. But not only live, but to flourish in your life. Paul reminds the readers, he reminds us, that Jesus died for you. And whether you are awake or asleep, whether you have died or you are still alive, you will be with Christ. Remember, this letter is really early in Paul's writings, which is great because he is just getting started. And he talks about the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. Those are defensive weapons. There are no offensive weapons here. No sword, no slingshot, or anything like that. It's just a breastplate of hope, of faith, and a helmet of hope. So what Paul is saying about how he sees human beings is that we are under attack almost constantly. 
The accuser tells us lies. You're worthless. You're not good enough. You failed. Everything is terrible. It's a mess. Everybody's life is going great, and it's only yours that is trash. And it's probably because of something you did. If you would only get your life together, God is mad at you. I debated on telling this story or not, but how many of you remember Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? My favorite story he ever told kind of sums this up. A man and his son were walking down the road and it began to rain. And the son said, Dad, why is it raining? And the father, without hesitation, said, because God is crying. He says, why is God crying? He said, it's probably something you did. (laughs) As funny as that is, that is the world we live in today. But Paul says, no, we have this breastplate of faith to protect our heart. That's what a breastplate is for. In battle, they would wear them to protect the core of who you are and of all of those evil thoughts. And you have a helmet on your head, the hope of salvation. These are things that are there to protect you. So when you are feeling attacked and like you just can't make it, remember Paul says you have this armor, faith and love. Christ's faith and Christ's love. Because as we know, and I've said it numerous times, and Paul tells us yet again, because Jesus died for us. You are loved, you are saved, and there is nothing more to be added to that. It really is a beautiful depiction of people. Because how many times have we said to someone, if you want to make your life better, go get it. Grab the bull by the horns and get your offensive weapons and go take what you want. But Paul says, no, we are under an onslaught all the time, but we have these weapons to protect us and shield us from all of this. And now we get on to one of Jesus, another one of Jesus' parables, which sometimes, right, these parables are really confusing, and we don't know what they're saying, but remember that the parables are off, this parable is often mispreached, And Jesus preached these things to confuse people. He literally did it to confuse people. And it did it because it was from the prophecy of Isaiah, that you may ever be hearing but never perceiving. So if you ever feel confused about a parable, you're not alone. But this is another one that's misinterpreted. At first, what do we think about this third slave, that this is totally unfair? This is a parable of what life is actually like in the world. It's as if that man going on a journey summoned who? His slaves. And he entrusted them with what? His property. It's not their stuff to do anything with. It's his. And we tend to think that the talent and the gifts and everything we have is ours, but it is not. He gives these slaves a whole bunch of stuff. One talent was something equivalent to four or five years of wages or something incredible like that. So when he gives each of them five, two, and one talent, it is according to their ability. You see, in this gift is an incredible amount of grace. 
this master, this man is giving people lots of stuff according to their ability to manage it. <clears throat> the first gets five, the second two, and what do they do? They double their earnings. They double what he has given them, and they are, he is very grateful. However, the third buries everything because he knows who he believes this man is. But the point that Jesus is making here is when the master comes back and everyone says, hey, look, I've, I've made you all this more money. Well done, good and trustworthy servant, he tells them. But here's the key. Remember that the master has given them everything that is his according to their ability to deal with it. That is an act of grace. But the final servant was afraid of his master and hid that money in the ground. And he says, here, have what is yours. Now you have everything that is yours. If he would have lost everything, I don't think the man would have been mad because he did something with it. That's not the point. But the point of the, this parable is that your perception of God, your master, is positively and absolutely everything. If you perceive God to be an angry taskmaster, you will act accordingly. If you perceive God as the God of Aristotle, tit for tat, you do your part and then maybe I will do mine, you will bury everything because ultimately you will be afraid that God will take something away from you. The God that you want is the God you're going to get. I'm going to say that again. The God that you want is the God you're going to get. This is the heart of the message, the perception of the master. The fact of the matter is if you've been given one talent or two talents or five, you have been given everything including grace and salvation from Jesus. That perception changes everything in your life. But if you think that God is someone who will love you always and forgive you always, then you feel free to take risks in life. If you're someone who thinks that God is just waiting to slap you down the second you step out of line, you live in a fear-based way, which is just like the last slave in this parable. It's all about knowing who God is. Jesus wants the people. He wants us to know that God is a wonderful, gracious, and loving God, not a taskmaster. So do we trust our master? My friends, this is our invitation into a spiritual life of belovedness, not one based in fear. Amen. Amen.